From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. The ACA is more popular now than it was at the time Congress passed it three, four years ago. Welcome to another episode of The Explainer, the legal affairs show where we sit down with experts to dig behind the headlines. On today's show, health rights expert Janelle Newman takes the temperature of the Affordable Care Act. Earlier this month, a federal judge in Texas ruled parts of the ACA unconstitutional, even as more Americans kept their coverage. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skibb for the interview. Good morning, Janelle. Thanks for coming to The Explainer. Happy to be here. Great. Um, So I guess we should start when we're talking about the Affordable Care Act. And I, I think one of the things that often gets lost in this is what President Obama's original uh what he was originally trying to accomplish with the ACA and and how what finally passed differed from the original idea well he actually passed what he envisioned at the end of the day i mean there were obviously some compromises that occurred but what was passed envisioned a an ACA which had all states operating for what are called healthcare exchanges, where people could go to the marketplace and purchase, as they were mandated to do, the individual um, policies if they were not covered by an employer's plan. In addition, um, he had envisioned that the healthy people, we've heard this a million times, entering the exchanges because they were required to would make the premium sustainable because then the risk would be spread out over the large population of United States citizens. Uh, He eliminated effectively the um, precondition exclusions, which is one of the biggest accomplishments of the ACA. And he uh, expanded the ability for young people to stay on their parents' existing plans through age 26. As the mother of a millennial, I'm quite aware that that might be important. Mm -hmm. Um, Lastly, he envisioned uh, that Medicaid would be expanded, that there would be a mandate that all states expand Medicaid to cover people in this gap where which is the difference between people who are deemed able to purchase on the market uh, policy and people who were under income, unable to be deemed capable of purchasing a policy. And so Medicaid would be expanded to cover not only the elderly Mm -hmm. or impoverished children or impoverished people with disabilities, that prevent them from working, but Medicaid would in all 50 states be available to people who were simply impoverished and unable to afford to buy a health care plan. As we know, the Supreme Court said, and surprisingly so, I think to everyone, that while they upheld all the aspects of the plan that I've explained, they said that the requiring the states to expand Medicaid to this population was unconstitutional and that states would have the choice whether to offer Medicaid 
expansion or not. And so we see across the country Medicaid expansion states, non-Medicaid expansion states, and uh, that has led to a lot of unequal results in terms of coverage. Mm -hmm. And that part happened during the Obama administration. So let's talk a little about what then happened with the Trump administration as far as 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 changes to the ACA. So what uh, what is what is percolating? Well, I'll I'll back up and I'll discuss first um, Trump repeatedly said repeal and replace. Right. That was the agenda that he campaigned on. That was part of his platform. He got to the White House and he had a very Republican House of Representatives uh, when he took office in 2017 and repeal and replace nonetheless failed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what Trump, the Trump administration did instead was uh, It was able to pass, and this will sort of form the basis of the conversation about the current litigation. Mm -hmm. The Congress was able to pass something called the Tax Cut Act. You may recall that in 2017. One of the things that the Tax Cut Act did was remove the penalty for failing to obtain insurance under the ACA. And so that was an act passed by Congress, and that small provision within the very large and complicated tax act has been the basis for the latest litigation. Right. One other thing, uh, but there may be more that uh, that I re- remember maybe Trump doing was sort of gutting the uh, the marketing campaign for signing up and. Right. It seems like he did more than just that. Yes, he did. So there are two different ways that the Trump administration has tackled uh, unable to pass repeal and replace. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are two different avenues that the Trump administration has taken in terms of what many people think is gutting the ACA. The first is legislative, and that's the Tax Cut Act. Mm-hmm. Um and I'll get back to that in a second. The The second is through their administrative executive power. And using administrative executive power, two things have happened. First, he has um, the administration obviously can fund a marketing campaign to enter the exchanges, uh, to sign up, to buy this health insurance or not. And he has severely restricted the funding marketing the availability of plans, eligibility to buy plans, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one aspect which I think you were referring to. The other is he has greatly expanded um, these short-term plans that were available and envisioned during the Obama administration as very short-term very imperfect solutions to uh, to the ACA's bigger, broader plans. Mm-hmm. So the ACA requires healthcare plans to meet certain standards. First of all, to offer essential coverages. Second, to again, very important, not screen people out because they have preconditions. 
the um, these short-term, cheaper plans, which the Trump administration has touted and is now approving for operation for up to three years. The Obama administration saw them as transitional for maybe two, three months. Mm-hmm. Um, these cheaper plans are being touted as a great choice for consumers. They screen out people with any uh, any preconditions that the insurance company doesn't want to cover. They don't offer the same comprehensive coverage that is required by the ACA. They're not required to meet those standards. And so we see a lot of people being funneled into these plans. The long-term concern is twofold. Number one, that younger, healthier people will buy them because, in fact, those will be the only people eligible to buy them. Mm-hmm. And then and then the funding mechanism, the, the spreading of the risk so that other people can afford health insurance through the through the marketplace, through the plans that are ACA compliant, those premiums will have to go up because these cheaper plans will have siphoned off the younger, healthier population. Right. All right. Now that brings us up to uh, this ruling out of Texas. What's the meaning of that and, and where do we stand with that? And so it all really does go back to the reason that the Supreme Court upheld the ACA individual mandate in the first place. Mm -hmm. So as you may recall, in that case, not only did they determine that Medicaid expansion was, uh, was unconstitutional to be forced on the states, they also said that the commerce power, um, that our, the legislator's constitutional power under the Commerce Clause was not sufficient to empower this uh, the Affordable Care Act's uh, individual mandate, but it was legitimately required as a taxing power. And so now recall the Tax Cut Act has now removed the penalty for someone to fail to obtain health insurance. Mm-hmm. And so there's no longer a tax associated with that. And so 20 states filed a lawsuit, very carefully chosen district in Texas, where the the result they believed was, would be predictable. But they have filed a lawsuit saying that now that the tax is gone, there is no constitutional basis for for this individual mandate. And the district judge, in a decision issued in mid-December, agreed with that decision, with that argument, but he has stayed his ruling pending the appeal. Mm-hmm. The appeal has been filed with the Fifth Circuit. An appeal like this will take six months to a year to be resolved. Mm-hmm. And almost certainly, this this issue will go to the Supreme Court. Now, does that ruling declare just that part unconstitutional, or does it cover the entire ACA? Primarily, because remember, the ACA has had bits and pieces uh, throughout. Primarily, the big the big issue here in this case was w- once Congress eliminated the tax penalty for failing to purchase a plan under the individual mandate, then the individual mandate had no had no power and there was it was not an 
any longer an exercise of Congress's constitutional powers. Are there more measures coming out that would impact the Affordable Care Act? I mean, I what isn't coming out Every that's day. going to drip, Im- drip, drip. <laughs> impact the Affordable Care Act exactly? Uh, one of the one of the great ironies um, about this is every day, uh, while at least the the Republican uh, congressional delegation and the White House are undercutting the ACA, it's becoming more and more popular with the American people, and so the polls show that the American people want a Medicare-like buy-in system. And they want it to be affordable. They want uh, pre-existing conditions to be covered. um, And that they actually like most of the provisions in the ACA. Uh, The Democrats really ran on that in the last midterm election. um, And it remains to be seen what they will be able to accomplish. They are calling for the elimination of these cheap short, short-term up to three-year mm-hmm. health plans. They are uh, considering coming in as the House Democratic Caucus on the lawsuit that is that is now in the Fifth Circuit that that the twenty states filed in the in a district in Texas, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they are they are every day trying to figure out how to push an agenda that will give the American people what the polls say they all want. If the polls are saying that um, that Americans want health care that covers pre-existing conditions, all of these things, then why are the Republicans holding on to it? Is this big pharma? Is this lobbyists? Like, why not shift to the will of the people? Well, that's a good question. Um, and um, interestingly, the ACA has not really been opposed by Big Pharma or the insurance companies. Uh, the insurance companies have never really thought that they lost under this act, in mm-hmm. fact. Um, so it, it remains to be seen how all of this is going to shake out. The ACA is more popular now than it was at the time Congress passed it three four years ago. Mm-hmm. And so we will see how this drama unfolds. Um, but I, there's bound to be plenty more drama to come. All right. Well, um, thanks so much for sitting with us. Um, stay healthy out there. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. On next week's episode, we are with class action expert Sergio Campos, whose co-authored amicus brief was cited by the United States Supreme Court. Sergio will suss out Frank versus Gayos, a case before the court concerning the distribution of settlement monies in class action suits. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi, with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uges. Today's show was brought to you by the 2019 University of Miami Law Review Symposium, Sin Limites, Law and Business at the Gateway to the Americas. The conference is on February 8th and 9th on the Coral Gables campus. For more information, visit law.miami.edu.